Welcome to OtoMentor, the podcast that provides mentorship for your otolaryngology career. I'm your host, Christina Cabrera-Muffley. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own or my guests and do not express the views or opinions of my employer. This is Episode 8, Lessons Learned During Otolaryngology Residency. My guest today is Nathan Cass, who just recently graduated from otolaryngology residency at the University of Colorado. Nate graduated from the Ohio State University College of Medicine before coming to Colorado for his residency. He is now pursuing a year of research at the University of Michigan while he applies to Neurotology Fellowship. Nate was selected as our Administrative Chief Resident for the 2018-2019 academic year. Here at Colorado, this means he had the pleasure of organizing all of the call and vacation schedules, attending faculty meetings as the resident representative, and being the spokesperson for resident issues. Nate is married and has three small children, one of whom was born just last spring. Welcome to the show, Nate. Thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. How did you decide originally that you wanted to be an otolaryngologist? How much time do we have? I I could go on all day about the things I love about ENT. Um, Well, first of all, I liked the operating room, and uh, I enjoyed having a variety of venues to practice in. So going to clinic, going to the operating room, and not doing the exact same thing every day. I really enjoyed anatomy in medical school, and I thought the head and neck anatomy was the most interesting. And for me at that point in time, it was a very exciting challenge because I felt it was very difficult. There's a lot of other things that I enjoy about ENT. There's a large variety of patients, problems, and uh, methods of helping people. There's huge open cases, there's endoscopic cases, there's microsurgical techniques. So you can really have it all in terms of what you really want to practice uh, in terms of your surgical career. The other thing that I really was drawn to about otolaryngology was the option to take my career in a lot of different ways. When I started residency, I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do eventually. And with ENT, with all the different subspecialties and the different acuity of patients in different practice environments, you can have a research career, you can do high acuity free flaps or skull-based surgeries, you can have a boutique cosmetic facial plastics practice, you can move anywhere you want and do septoplasties, tubes, and tonsils and work four days a week. You can, you can really do whatever you want uh, with a career in ENT. So that's what really drew me to it. So speaking of that, what career are you planning on? So I am planning to do a research fellowship at the University of Michigan in hearing research, uh, after which I hope to do a neurotology fellowship and practice clinical neurotology as an academic for my career. Great. So what criteria did you use to make your decision to train in Colorado? Sorry if this is a selfless plug for our residency program, which is the best (laughs) program in the country, but how did you decide? Yeah. You know, I interviewed at a lot of programs that I thought were really great. I ended up ranking Colorado number one for the following reasons. I thought it was, first of all, a place where I could get great operative training in all of the subspecialties without a single focus on one subspecialty. It offered a diverse set of training sites. There was a handful of programs in the country where you can train at a university hospital, a children's hospital, a VA, and a county hospital, and Colorado was one of those. It was important to me to see different practice settings to figure out if there was a place that I really felt like I wanted to spend the rest of my career in that setting. Finally, the camaraderie between the residents and the great relationships that I saw that they had with the attendings 
uh, was something that uh, was very appealing to me. I thought that it was uh, a place that I could see myself coming to, getting excellent training, as well as feeling comfortable uh, raising a family and uh, spending five years of my life. Did anything surprise you once you got here that you weren't expecting? There's a couple things that come to mind uh, that were surprising when I really think back on it. First of all, I didn't realize that I would actually enjoy coming to work as much as I do. I I enjoy coming to work more than I thought that I would when I started residency. I figured it's just going to be a horrible grind for five years and you just got to get through it. But uh, especially as I progressed to be a senior resident and developed a good idea on how to handle most clinical problems, it was really nice to actually exercise that knowledge and understand that I could actually treat patients. Uh, I also really look forward to working with people that I enjoy, both my co-residents and the faculty I work with. I think we have some really amazing faculty who are wonderful to work with. Um, Another thing that I was thinking about that surprised me as I look back is that the program has changed a lot more than I thought it would throughout my time here. Uh, I was drawn by a specific set of circumstances that was that was true in you know when I interviewed in 2013 2014 uh, including how the program and the clinical sites were run and I was drawn by the people who all became my senior residents when I joined I developed strong relationships with them but you know eventually they graduated one by one and I changed also and became a senior and developed relationships with my juniors the program itself also changed call schedules change attendings change clinical sites change I think Overall, many of the changes have been for the better, but there's been a lot of downstream consequences that you have to work through as a program and decide how to self-govern yourselves and make it the best experience for the patients, residents, and attendings. So that was surprising, and it's not something I would say I anticipated, although I probably should have given the you know transient nature of a five-year residency program where every year you get new people and every year people leave. But those are some things that surprised me. Yeah, I mean, well, our faculty alone has increased drastically in in number since you came, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure that it looks very different than when you first interviewed. I think medical students who are applying to otolaryngology are really most interested in what's the intern year like, because that is the next step. It's kind of right there on the horizon. So what was your intern experience like? Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's interesting that When I look back on residency, I don't think about my intern year a whole lot at all, but it's very understandable. And I remember being in that position too, really wanting to know, you know, you're thinking about the long game, you're thinking about five years, but you're also really like, hey, what's my next year going to look like? And I understand that that's very important. For me, I expected a lot of hard work. You know, you're being an intern, you're going to be a surgical intern. That hard work proved to be true. There was only a few times that I say where I felt overwhelmed. Uh, mainly it was on when I was on my general surgery night float service. I covered anywhere from six to 11 services and up to 150 patients at night. But it taught me a lot about efficiency and helped me value being direct and straightforward with patient care. For a lot of my rotations, and this was fairly true throughout residency, actually, I felt like I was warned about all of the annoying and difficult parts of working on that service, which, whichever service it was. But when I actually got to the rotation, I was surprised how much satisfaction I derived from just doing a good job and making the service work. Uh, and that, that was true for, you know, vascular surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, plastics, ER, neurosurgery, all the things that I did when I was an intern. I, I definitely 
learned things on each rotation and had valuable experiences that helped me become a better physician, I think. I didn't actually dislike any of my intern year rotations except for general surgery night flow, which our interns don't do anymore. So um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, was, that was a positive change, right? Yeah, that was, a, that, was, that was a definitely a positive change for the residency. Okay. So what year of the residency was the toughest for you? Was it the intern year? I think a lot of people feel like it's the second year that's more difficult. What has been the toughest year? Yeah, I think that in general for medical services and for general surgery, intern years typically seem to be the hardest, but traditionally for a lot of the subspecialty residencies, ENT, ortho, urology, second year has typically been the hardest since the work hours restrictions due to the fact that that's the year when you start taking a lot of home call and you have day duties and then night duties and then duties again the next day. In general, I would say for me, and especially at this residency, I think every year of residency gets better. You exchange the challenges of junior level tasks for ones that are more at your level as a senior resident. And specifically, call definitely gets better every year in this residency. But I think that every year has its own unique challenges and perks. I would say for me, my family life definitely changed over the course of my residency. Uh, My wife and I had a child, an intern year, third year, and then fifth year. Uh, So with all those things, I think that life at home got better and harder every year. So uh, I would still say overall PGY2 is probably the most difficult just because of the burden of call that you have and always being the most junior resident on each service that you're on. There's a large amount of fatigue that you deal with. But on the other hand, I think that this can teach you a lot about peak performance under stress and under adverse situations such as being fatigued. The things that I enjoyed about that time was that I knew that it was just for a finite period of time that it was going to be PGY2. And uh, it was also rewarding to know that I was running the service and I was also making life easier for everyone around me. And it, it made me look forward to a time when other PGY2s work hard to make my life easier, which has proved to be true. Yeah. So last year you were selected as the administrative chief resident, which I've mentioned before. So that carries a lot of scheduling responsibilities, but also this implication that you're really the first line of communication between the education team uh, and the residents and are their advocate for solving issues. How did this experience go and what did you learn during this experience? Yeah. And, and uh, I would say also you're, a liaison, not just between the education team and the residents, but also between all of the attendings at every clinical site. If there's anything that needs to be distributed or made known between the residents and attendings or vice versa, then you're expected to facilitate that communication. You know, I anticipated uh, all those responsibilities, but, you know, but also enjoyed them for the most part. There were challenges that came interpersonally from working with very busy attendings and very busy residents. You had to say no a lot, you know, but you get the opportunity to contribute to decisions that affect all the residents and often the attendings. And, you know, I enjoyed facilitating communication throughout the department and seeing how well I could help things. That was rewarding for me. I would say one of the main things that I learned is that you know, for better or for worse, I, I have a little bit of obsessive compulsive personality. I think and most doctors do. Yeah. I want my inbox to be completely clear at all times, even though it, it rarely gets completely empty. I've also had a tendency to be very concerned with how my emails or calls or texts were perceived by different people. And throughout residency, I've been working on being increasingly direct 
also in a you know a gentle and kind way. But being the admin chief really helped me learn to just deal with things quickly and decisively, obviously as kindly as possible, but to the best of my abilities and to not worry much about the perception that those actions or words were causing. Obviously, trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but sometimes you just have to say no to things, and it um, and it doesn't actually help the situation to spend lots of time constructing, you know, very very carefully worded things. Sometimes it's best just to say, you know what, I'm sorry, we can't make that call switch, or I'm sorry, you know, you can't have that rotation now, or you can't have this vacation now. It just doesn't work with the schedule. You know, I tried a lot of things, but it's just not going to work out this time. Obviously, that's the minority of times, and usually we're able to work around around things like that. But I think for me, it was very helpful to deal with things as quickly as I could because there's a lot of things that build up, and if you uh, wait to have the perfect opportunity to tell someone in the very most perfect way, um, you're going to have too much to do and you're going to be too stressed out. So for me, it was helpful to cultivate uh, my directness I think everyone understands when you have to say no because being in a position of leadership is is hard to to make those decisions. Uh, but if they don't understand, then they're probably not going to understand even if you word things differently. So I think for me that was very helpful. Yeah, and I've seen that develop in you, and, and I have to say that you've done a great job, and it's been a pleasure to be working with you as admin chief this past year. Thank you. So what has been the most gratifying experience of your residency? I would say – transitioning from a learner to, I guess, not necessarily a master, but someone who's very competent at practicing otolaryngology. Also the ability to share knowledge with others via teaching, especially the junior residents and to a certain extent, the medical students. The other thing that's been really enjoyable for me is transforming my relationships with my attendings from very much a subordinate into a colleague and friend. How about the toughest experience during your residency? For me, the toughest experience of residency was failing to match into a neurotology fellowship this past year uh, after interviewing at um, almost all of the programs. It was a difficult experience, and it created a lot of uncertainty about the future for myself and my family. So that was something that, you know, I really had to examine my career goals in the context of my overall life goals. And my wife and I had to sit down and figure out what the future was going to hold for us and what we really wanted to do. Um, so that that was uh, that took some soul searching and was a tough experience for me. Yeah. I mean, any otology fellowship directors who are listening, this one's a gem, just so you know. So what do you think residents need to do during training to be successful? There's a lot of things I think that you can do to set yourself up well for success in residency. The number one thing I would say is be inquisitive. This is your one opportunity to train, to be an ENT surgeon. Um, And you have a built-in relationship with your attendings where they're actually contractually obliged to teach you. And you won't have that opportunity again um, once you finish. I decided when starting that I would ask as many questions as possible, obviously within reason and at appropriate times. You know, I asked dumb questions. I asked questions that everyone else was thinking, but no one was going to say. You know, and, and from my perspective, I figured that I would rather finish and know what I'm doing, but have everybody that I train with think that I'm really dumb rather than pretend to be smart, but then finish and not know what I'm doing. For me, I think the main thing is to actually know what you're doing when you get out of residency and not to manage your reputation within residency. Another thing I think that is really helpful to keep in mind during training is that 
it's important just to do the right thing and to practice being in attending. So there's a lot of situations that require extra work that's not fun. Um, but whenever you feel uneasy or uncomfortable at, about something, I would say just keep asking questions, go up the chain, go in and see the patient, whatever it takes to not feel that uncomfortable, uneasy feeling. Because that, you know, even though maybe half the time or nine times out of 10, it's it would be just fine. It's important to practice that because I think that it's really going to help you to make sure that you get everything taken care of and that nothing, the ball, the ball doesn't get dropped on anything. Another thing I think is important that was important for me at least is to remember to not complain because I think residency can be pretty hard. And I think there's no doubt about the fact that there are some residents that work harder than others, but everyone works hard. And I think that it's important to be one of those who doesn't complain because this helps build relationships with co-residents and also with faculty. One other thing I think is important during residency is to really support your co-residents. Like we just talked about, residency's hard, and I think everybody can use some encouragement now and then because you don't get as much positive feedback in residency, but you get a lot of negative feedback. And even, you know, actually, I would say most of the time you don't get much feedback. Verbal feedback is not like every day when you get done, someone says, good job, you did a great job today. You know, there are certainly some attendings that do, but I think as a resident and especially as a senior resident, I think you can do a good job encouraging your team, encouraging specific members of your team who do something excellently. Um, and even as a uh, as an intern, I remember being excited to have medical students under me for the first time. You know, so if there are any third year medical students on our service, even when I was off service, you know, even when I was on general surgery or plastics or whatever, it was nice to have medical students to like, there's a lot of things that I could teach them, uh, even though that might not be my specialty there. I think that you have a lot more to offer than you might realize. And it's important not to totally get lost in your own world where you're like, I'm so stressed. I have so many things to do. I have to get all these notes written. I have to see these consults and to take time to realize you have a lot to offer that you can um, help other people that are at a, a an earlier stage in the process than you. You can help medical students when you're a second year. Yes, you have a lot of call, you have a lot of uh, responsibilities and duties, but you can help the interns with a lot of things. And so I think that it's important to internalize some of those situations where you felt like you yourself were hung out to dry in different situations by people who were above you because those people didn't think it was their responsibility to help you with something. And I think that if you take those experiences and internalize them, you can realize that Maybe someone who's just at a level a little bit lower than you, even though you're, you may not be a senior, there's something that you can do to either teach them something or to encourage them um, and to tell them the things that they're doing that are that are good and also to tell them the things they're doing that are bad. I mean, I think doing that in a sensitive but yet very direct way is one of the most helpful things that I've been able to do for residents in my program. It's very important for me to do a mid-rotation and end-of-rotation structured feedback where I ask for feedback from everyone who's junior to me, and then I ask for their feedback on their own performance, and then I give them my feedback on their performance. For me, I think that's a very important time uh, of the rotation to actually help people have some gauge of how they're doing, not only to tell them the things that they need to work on, uh, but also to tell them the things that I, I really see a lot of progress in them. And I think that's been very encouraging for people to know what they can feel good about and also to 
uh, have very specific things that they feel like they can make steps to improve. Yeah, I've seen you develop your mentorship skills for sure with residents. I can think of several specific examples where you have been a positive influence on some of the junior residents, and I appreciate that as well. So some this is a trick, okay, that, that I use. I shouldn't give away all my secrets, but when you ask somebody about themselves, one of the most effective ways to get honest feedback is to say, what would your friends say? about you. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think your wife would say that you learned during residency? I think that probably having a, not a work-life balance, but understanding the different responsibilities to be effective at work and to be effective at home. You know, we were married throughout medical school and, you know, when we were in med school, I mean, I could just work, work, work and not really take any breaks or many breaks. But, you know, since I have three children, I've had to learn how to support a family mentally, emotionally, uh, and really be there as a father and as a husband. And so I would say that that's something that I've definitely learned and significantly changed about myself in in residency. The other thing I think is probably uh, learning not to be affected by how other people think of me and how to be direct in getting things done. Because I think that, you know, as a lot of high, high uh, achieving physicians are, all of us are taught to significantly care about other people's opinions of us. We are, for the most part, people pleasers. And I think it's important to separate how other people think about you to uh, from, from how you are actually doing. That's why it's important to have very structured, specific feedback so that you know if there are things that you legitimately need to work on. But someone being discontent with you because you had to tell them that they couldn't take vacation that week, that doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. That might mean you're doing a good job. But I think that separating those things emotionally is something that takes a lot of actual practice. And um, it's something I think that she would say I've, I've learned. So I remember a couple of years ago, I think when you were a PGY two or three, we talked about this notebook of information that you were keeping. So you would, every time you would do a new case, you would write down all the steps and you would draw pictures of the anatomy. And when you would read to prepare for cases or, or clinic patients, you would write that stuff down and, and create, you created basically your own personal study guide. So that was really interesting to me. I don't know that many residents do that. How did you decide how to do that? And and tell me more about it. Well, this is how it started. We had a reading schedule where we were supposed to go through Cummings in two years that you set up. And partway through my intern year, I had gone through a, a good portion of Cummings, but I kept having to look up things that I knew that I had read before. And so that really bothered me because I was like, why can't I remember that? And I started taking extensive notes on each chapter, which helped my retention. Uh, and then I started, then I realized that that was fairly ineffective for um, really helping me remember. It, it, was, it was helpful for helping me remember things, but it wasn't helpful as a reference when I needed to look something up quickly. So I started to condense those extensive notes into concise documents that summarized all of the really important information on a topical base, basis. So that way I had it, I could make those documents to help my retention, but I could also use it as a reference. So I, I have that now. I have hundreds of documents 
on different clinical topics. I've organized them into subspecialty folders. And whenever the nice thing about that is whenever I hear a lecture or a grand rounds on a topic, I pull up that topic document on my computer or even on my phone, and I, I just add any important information or interesting pearls or little tidbits um, of data that people are presenting from interesting uh, research studies. Um, I keep everything on Dropbox so I can access it at all times. You know, when I was a PGY2 and PGY3 especially, I would pull out, you know, I'd, I'd finish seeing a patient, I'd pull out my phone, I'd look up, you know, some pertinent thing about, you know, whatever, burning mouth syndrome or nasopharyngeal carcinoma or staging for, you know, allergic fungal rhinosinusitis. I mean, it, and anything, you know, I just pull out the document I had on that. I just do a quick refresher, 30 seconds, I can view my one or two page document. And then I felt like I was able to be kind of, I was, I was certainly able to remember all those things that I had already written down. And because I had done it myself and put it together myself, it would jog my memory. And so I was better able to remember all of those things because um, they were in the exact order and format that I liked them in. So, you know, in addition to those topical documents, I also add interesting or landmark papers um, into those folders so that I have everything related to that topic in one place. And it's definitely been one of the favorite things that I feel like I've created during residency. Well, it also sets you up nicely for board studying because you can you have all of these resources at your fingertips. Absolutely. You know, for in-service, uh, I would just spend a few hours just kind of perusing through all the documents because it's really a, a high-yield review, but it's more useful to me than a board review book because it's familiar. And maybe someday you can publish it. Yeah. I just, I just, uh, shared it with a few of the residents last week. Yeah. Great. So my last question to you is one that I ask everybody who's on the podcast. So you have three kids who are just adorable, by the way. So if one of them comes to you, it's going to be a while, but probably in 20 years, if one of them comes to you and says, Hey dad, I really want to be an otolaryngologist. What would be your advice to them? Well, you know, if one of my kids told me that they wanted to go to medical school, I would want them to have a very clear understanding of what their life would look like for the next 10 plus years in training as well as their whole lives. But if they were already going to be a doctor, I would tell them that I really think that ENT is the best subspecialty. You know, everybody likes different things. I have a lot of friends who are different uh, specialists uh, or generalists, but I think that most people would enjoy ENT if they could get into this residency and could make it through the training. I think the things that we get to do are so amazing and the choices that we have afterwards for our career are fairly unparalleled. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I would say the last thing that's really important to keep in mind during residency is to engage a support system and interests outside of residency. For me, it's my family and my relationship with God and my church family. Other people are going to cultivate their own interests there is time to do things outside of residency. For me, with the size of my family, I can't really do anything other than try to be who I want to be, work on myself and support my family. But I would say other people that don't have family commitments are able to pursue other things that are good for them. There are residents in our program that are really into traveling, outdoor activities, rock climbing, beer and wine tasting, intramural sports. I mean, there is a whole... A slew of things that people from our residency have pursued 
fairly uh, aggressively outside of residency. And I think that you can do that. I think that you can't do everything. I can't do all those things and have a family and work out and do all these other things. I think there are certainly things that you have to shelve during your time in residency, but I think that you can, um, you can have one or two other interests outside of residency. And I think it is very good to make sure that you have a support system that is not entirely uh, within medicine or within the residency. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. If you like what you just heard or didn't, please go to my show notes page to let me know your thoughts. There you will find a link to a brief survey so I can improve the quality of this podcast. I would greatly appreciate your help.